Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about man-made waves, particles, and frequencies and their effects on the body. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. So tonight we're going to get kind of geeky and techy and talk about all sorts of things from iPhones to microwaves to Wi-Fi to nuclear explosions and things like that. So this is a continuation from last week. Last week, we talked about naturally occurring waves and particles and rays and frequencies and things like that. And this week, we're going to be talking about the man-made ones. So why don't you remind us of the various different man-made waves, particles, and their frequencies that can affect the body and its health? Hey, there's uh, sound waves, of course, which are also naturally occurring, but there are other types of sound, including ultrasound, that are found in man-made medical equipment. Uh, There's x-rays, microwaves used in microwave ovens, uh, radioactive particles that come from explosions produced by thermonuclear weapons, high-tension electrical wires, and radio waves and radio frequencies, also known as RF, and their subcategories including Bluetooth technology, Wi-Fi, and the newest of the bunch, 5G. Very good. All right. So we're going to dive into some of those. We're going to start with sound waves. Now, when is it that sound waves can be harmful to the body? Well, for example, sound heard at rock concerts where the decibel level goes well above 100 decibels can lead to hearing loss eventually. Um, An ultrasound physical therapy unit can cause burns if you're not careful. And weapons using sound to disorient and sicken people are in the infrasound range and are called LRADs or long-range acoustic devices. Hmm. Yeah, and these are non-lethal sonic warfare weapons that have overall been used sparingly by the police to disperse unruly crowds, but they've been used more frequently recently with the increase in riots that have broken out in cities throughout the United States this year. Even though these are non-lethal, the problem with these is that they can cause temporary nausea and disorientation as well as the potential for permanent hearing loss. An LRAD has been described as the sound equivalent of looking into the sun and has been nicknamed a sound cannon. So just to give you an idea of how loud they are, first of all, it's important to know that any sounds above 85 decibels, depending on how long you've been exposed to them, can cause permanent damage. Uh, So, you know, normal conversations in the 60 to 70 decibel range. Concerts and sporting events are around 94 to 110 decibels. Uh, 
Wow. And jets taking off at airports are up in the 120 to 140 decibel range. Hmm. Some LRADs can create sounds upwards of 160 decibels when they're cranked up to full power. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now, fortunately, there are things that you can do to protect yourself from a blaring LRAD if you ever get into a situation where one is employed. You can use cheap earphone plugs, which will provide some protection of up to 30 decibels. Or, you know, you just cover your ears with your hands and that'll reduce noises by about 20 decibels. But, you know, by far the best thing to do is to first listen to the police warning, you know, giving you, that they give you before they potentially use it. You know, the LRAD can also be used as a loudspeaker to reach a crowd of people and they'll warn people to leave the area first before using the LRAD as a sonic weapon. At that point, you know, you need to just move away from where the sound is concentrated. You know, the sound goes just a about 15 degrees in each direction, like a cone from the sound source. So you just keep moving to one side or the other from the center of the sound and you'll be fine. Okay. All right. So that has to do with sound. Sound's been around for a long time and so has man-made sound. I mean, even going back to early 1900s with some of the first cars and some of the factories that were built that were uh, manufacturing different goods so that's been around for a while. A more recent invention that brought about more man-made waves is the microwave oven. And it's been around for quite a while. Uh, you might know exactly when it began, but I think it was somewhere in the 60s or 70s. Um, and a lot of people have used it. Now, why is that any big deal about microwaves and what's the controversy around them? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of pros and cons to using microwave ovens for cooking or reheating food. So let's go over the pros first. Okay. Well, the pros include the fact that they're convenient to use. Mm -hmm. They normally do not burn food. Uh, they're highly economical and they heat food faster than other methods. Uh, the cons are that microwave cooking may not be as effective as other cooking methods at killing bacteria and other pathogens that can lead to food poisoning. Mm. And that's because the heat tends to be lower and the cooking time much shorter. In addition, sometimes the food heats unevenly, so that's why it's recommended to use a microwave with a rotating turntable to prevent uneven cooking. Right. Another potential issue is that if you heat liquids, they can explode out of their container and burn you. And on top of that, you should never heat baby formula or any food or beverage in a microwave that'll be given to small children due to the risk of scald burns. Okay. Another problem with microwaving is using plastic containers that may contain hormone-disrupting compounds like bisphenol A or BPA, as this has been linked to conditions like cancer, thyroid disorders, and obesity. The problem with plastic containers containing BPA is that when heated, they can leach this and other unhealthy chemicals into the food. So it's not a good idea to use any type of heat with plastic containers unless they say microwave safe or there's a logo seal that you can find on containers that will indicate that. Okay. Also, heating human milk in a microwave is not recommended because it can damage antibacterial agents that are naturally found in milk. Now, one of the controversies where there is mixed viewpoints and reviews has to do with the effects microwaving has on nutrient content. Right. Uh, according to two reviews, microwaving doesn't reduce nutrient value more than other cooking methods. Uh, one particular study that looked at 20 different vegetables found that microwaving and baking preserved antioxidants the best, while pressure cooking and boiling did the worst. Oh. 
Now, on the other hand, another study showed that microwaving destroyed 97% of flavonoid antioxidants in broccoli, while boiling only destroyed 66% of them. Okay. Now, this study is often cited as evidence that microwaves you know, degrade food, but water was added to the microwave broccoli, which is not recommended, so that may have skewed the results. Okay. Another study found that microwaving for just one minute destroyed some of the cancer-fighting compounds in garlic, whereas this took 45 minutes to occur in a conventional oven. All right. So, you know, according to websites like Healthline, the general consensus is that, and I'm going to quote them, there's no evidence that microwave ovens cause harm and some evidence that they're even better than other cooking methods at preserving nutrients and preventing the formation of harmful compounds. All right. But there are alternative doctors that claim that microwaving food destroys nutrients. It can change the DNA of the food. Uh, it causes cancer-causing byproducts and many other issues. But, you know, I searched and could not find any evidence-based peer-reviewed studies showing any of these to be true. So at this point, you know, I, I do lean towards being cautious about using microwaves. And if given the choice between heating, you know, my food up in a microwave versus using a stove or an oven... I definitely would choose the stove or oven, even though it may take a little longer. All right. So that's the story about microwaving. Now, what about my, uh, radioactive particles? What's the difference between the ones that come from a nuclear explosion and the ones that come from just naturally occurring uranium or radium? And how do they affect the body differently? Well, comparing these is like comparing a sledgehammer to a fly swatter. Oh, Okay. Radioactive particles from a nuclear explosion create fallout that's devastating. Now, you know, there's, there's three naturally occurring forms of, or isotopes of uranium. 99.27% are U-238, whereas only 0.72% are the one used in atomic fission bombs, U-235. Okay. Now, by itself... You know, uranium emits some radiation since its nucleus is unstable and it's in a constant state of decay. So uranium metal is commonly handled with gloves as a proper precaution and uranium concentrate is handled and contained, you know, ensure that people don't inhale or ingest it due to its potential for toxicity, which can cause a, you know, a whole array of health issues, including birth defects, reproductive issues, immune system damage, and various cancers. Right. So, you know, the amount of heat and energy produced by an atomic bomb explosion using uranium is just tremendous. And the first ever atomic bomb used in warfare was dropped on the Japanese city of Hiroshima during World War II on August 6, 1945. And this 10-foot-long bomb, in less than a minute, destroyed everything within a mile of its detonation. And a resulting massive firestorm destroyed miles more, killing tens of thousands of people. The blast from this bomb had the power of an estimated 15 kilotons of TNT, which was created with less than a kilogram or 2.2 pounds of uranium undergoing fission. The follow-up bomb that was dropped three days later that leveled the Japanese town of Nagasaki used plutonium instead, creating an implosion-type explosion. So then, you know, over the next four, two to four months, the devastating effects of these two atomic bombings killed between 90,000 and 146,000 people in Hiroshima and between 39,000 and 80,000 people in Nagasaki, with about half of them occurring on the first day. Mm, wow. 
Yeah. And, you know, the remaining large numbers of people continue to die over the next few months from the effects of burns, radiation sickness, and injuries compounded by illness and malnutrition. And unfortunately, most of these people were innocent civilians who were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. All right. So that's how those different. Now let's talk about electric wires. I mean, I look at houses from time to time with people and they have these high tension electric wires in the back of them. And most of the time people aren't that interested in living there. So if there is something like that near your home, there's a potential that it can affect your health. Have you found any info on this that you can trust because there's differing opinions on it? And if somebody has a concern about this, is there anything they can do to limit the effects? Yes. The real pioneer on this topic was the orthopedic surgeon, Robert Becker, who wrote the classic book in 1985 called The Body Electric, which I still have. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And the book that came out five years later called Cross Currents, which included information that showed that electromagnetic fields radiating from power lines and other electronic sources are putting the public's health at serious risk. And it included research uh, showing that this radiation correlates with increases in cancer, birth defects, depression, learning disabilities, chronic fatigue syndrome, Alzheimer's, AIDS, and sudden infant death syndrome. You know, Dr. Becker was on the Today Show a bunch of times talking about the link between EMFs, especially from power lines and conditions like cancer. And he was even on an episode of 60 Minutes way back in February of 1977 with Dan Rather, explaining how electrical frequencies around us, which included power lines, could be causing, you know, human health problems. Now, high-tension electrical wires are also known as high-voltage power lines. And the medical community is always and still continues to conclude that there are no known health risks that have been conclusively demonstrated to be caused by living near high voltage power lines. Mm -hmm. So most scientists believe that exposure to the low level EMFs near power lines is safe, but you know, some scientists continue to research to look for possible health risks associated with these fields. Several studies have shown a link between an elevated risk of childhood leukemia and living close to residential power lines. But some scientists have been critical of them saying that the association was not proven to be causal or coincidental. Now, as far as, you know, what can be done if you either live close to high voltage power lines or are considering purchasing a home close to them, there's a couple articles that I recommend checking out, which were written by a German company called GeoVital, also known as the Academy for Radiation Protection and Environmental Medicine. And we can leave a link for these in the podcast notes. Okay. The first article is called, How Close is Too Close When Living Near Transmission Power Lines? And it includes some great information on what a safe distance is for living near high-voltage power lines, how health is affected by them, and the key point of the article, which is to measure the amount of EMF exposure on a property to determine if it's safe or not to occupy, whether you're measuring EMF radiation and determine if you should buy a property or sell one that you have. Now I'll get into how you can uh, actually measure EMF radiation in just a little bit. Oh, good. Um, The other article is titled, Can You Shield Against Magnetic Fields from Power Lines? And it talks about shielding materials like paint, mesh, and metal that you can purchase to help limit the effects of radiation 
from power lines, as well as the other obvious option of just moving away. Right. Well, that's good. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how to measure that. Now, are there any other types of EMF electromagnetic frequencies that people should watch out for? Yes. And let's look at a relatively new technology that many people have and a large percentage of people don't even know that they have them and are totally unaware of how they work. Okay. And that's smart meters. Right. And they've been replacing the old school analog meters on the side of our homes or the back of our, you know, outer wall of our businesses now for several years. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about how these work you know, or why they're used and, you know, the different types, because you can read up on this. And I recommend an article that we can also leave a link to in the podcast notes called Smart Meter Radiation, The Definitive Guide. You know, really the problem with these is that they're basically being forced on customers without their consent and without, you know, providing adequate information about the health and privacy risks that they pose. Yes. And they significantly benefit the utility companies, but provide almost no benefit to the consumer and definitely not enough to outweigh the potential risks. Yeah. So the risks to your health include the fact that it puts out high amounts of EMF radiation that can penetrate the walls of the home, potentially causing all kinds of health issues, including reduced quantity and quality of sleep, especially if it's on a wall opposite a bedroom. Mm-hmm. Now, the article contains several studies and quotes from researchers showing its potential for harm, including increased risk for cancer and the fact that the amount of cumulative radiation exposure that you would receive from a smart meter if you're just three feet away from it, which, you know, is possible if your bed is on the other side of the wall where the meter is. Right. That's more than 160 times greater than that of a cell phone, Mm. the radiation amount. Wow. Yeah. And it's about a hundred, you know, it's about one tenth of that at 10 feet away, but that's still 16 times greater than your cell phone. Right. So the first thing you need to do is to find out if you have a smart meter, uh, you know, about half the homes in the United States now have them. And I believe pretty much all the homes and businesses in the Clearwater area have been converted over to them within the last year or two. So, you know, if you do, then it would be wise to get a quality EMF meter that reads radio frequency radiation always double check that these meters do that because not all of them do. Okay. Um, There's a couple I can recommend because they can also check out other forms of radiation. The EMF Academy recommends one you can purchase on Amazon that can check three different types of EMF radiation, including RF microwave, AC magnetic, and AC electric. And you can find the link for that within the smart meter radiation article that we'll leave a link for in the podcast notes. Okay. I actually ordered this yesterday and I'll receive it tomorrow. Oh, you'll have to let us know after you try it out how it goes. Yep. And then another one that some friends of mine recommend is made by Cornet Microsystems and can be found at electrosmog.org. And it's the ED78S slash ED178S RFLF electrosmog field strength power meter which measures RF and magnetic fields, but not AC electric. Okay. Cornet has two others that measure all three, the ED88T series, but they're a bit more expensive and you can find them again on electrosmog.org. All right. Now, you know, if you test your smart meter and it's putting out lots of radiation and it, you know, it's close to a room that you frequent, such as the kitchen or a bedroom, then there are different options to alleviate this problem. 
Uh, the first option is what a lot of people do, and that is to contact your local electric company to opt out. And this article has a letter that you can use to do this. Mm. But the problem with this is that you'll be charged a fee between $50 and $150 for them to come out and make the change back to an analog meter. Plus, you'll be charged an ongoing monthly fee in the range of $5 to $20 since an employee of theirs will have to come out each month to read the meter. Whereas with smart meters, they can access it from the main station. And that's one of the reasons why it's called a smart meter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's different from state to f- state as far as cost and policy. So you'd need to check with your local electric company about how to do this and how much it costs. Now, if you happen to still have an analog meter and don't want the electric company to come out and switch it to a smart meter, uh, that article has options for this too, including a sign refusal notice that you know you can place by your existing meter notifying them that you do not consent to the installation of a smart meter as well as a letter that you can send them saying basically the same thing right now the other option which i really like and have decided to implement myself is to keep my smart meter but purchase an effective cover or shield to effectively prevent nearly all of the radiation from entering my home or my neighbor's home good And again, this article recommends one called the Smart Meter Cover RF Radiation Shield, which you can purchase online from smartmetercovers.com for $49.95. Okay. Let's put links for these things in the podcast notes. We will. Good. This shielding device is easy to install and forms a cage with the metal utility box, reducing RF exposure by about 98% in all directions. That's great. Including back toward the house. Yeah, and it it still allows the utility company to receive its signal. Great. So that's important to know. There'll probably be some people that are going to want to get that for their own home if they have smart meters. Now, moving from something attached to the house, we're going to look at things that are attached to the body. Maybe not attached totally, but are worn on the body. Things like Apple Watches and the wireless Bluetooth headsets. Do those particular wearables, as they're called, cause any negative effects on your health? Well, you know, this is of great interest to me since I wear a Fitbit when I do my 5K run once a week. Right. So I found an excellent research group uh, composed of medical doctors and PhDs called Physicians for Safe Technology at mdsafetech.org. And they have a really good article that we can also leave a link for called Wearable Wireless Devices, which includes scientific literature looking at issues with these devices, including the fact that devices like the Fitbit and Apple Watch, you know, because they're placed close to the skin, can cause health issues. Mm -hmm. For example, a study from last year at the IEEE Milcom Conference IEEE stands for the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, and MILCOM stands for Military Communications. Okay. So that study looked at the topic of human exposure to wireless wearable devices that are placed close to the skin and showed that specific absorption rate, also known as SAR, S-A-R, mm-hmm. at 60 gigahertz can exceed the regulatory guidelines. Okay. Okay. Back in 2014, the Fitbit Force was recalled due to approximately 10,000 Fitbit Force users complaining to the Consumer Product Safety Commission about wrist rashes, as well as blisters and burning sensations. And the company ended up attributing this to a nickel or other chemical allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the article also brings up the fact that doctors and studies are warning against the extended wear of these devices, potentially causing reproductive issues, such as the potential for infertility in men and miscarriages in pregnant women who tend to have their arms straight down or resting on their bellies. Wow. And another thing that I wasn't even aware of are wearable baby monitors that expose infants to constant close EMF exposure like smart pacifiers and teethers with cell phone apps that they use. The parents use the cell phone apps along with Wi-Fi enabled cribs that soothe and rock your baby to sleep. Okay. You know, the article summarizes the use of this technology and the potential health expense that comes with it by saying, and I'm quoting them, is this really smart technology? Much research is demonstrating biological harm from long-term exposure to wireless devices, especially in close proximity to the skin. Cell phone manufacturers warn that cell phone devices should not be placed against the body. Tablets and laptop computers are supposed to be 20 centimeters away from the body, according to the Federal Communications Guidelines, or FCC. Is this technology becoming intrusive and disconnecting ourselves from our babies and children? Should this radio frequency technology be widespread given the overwhelming evidence of harm from exposure to this type of non-ionizing radiation? There's some good questions there. Now, you know, while we're still on this topic and the fact that I just brought up cell phones, Mm -hmm. I wanted to share again with everyone something that I've discussed in past podcasts, and that is the device that I have available in my office to reduce cell phone radiation exposure. And that is an object that's as thin as a credit card and adheres to the back of all major cell phones close to the cell phone's antenna and is very affordable. And that's the R2L device, which is distributed by the company that I purchased my low-level cold lasers from, Erconia. So, you know, this neat little device reduces cell phone radiation exposure by up to 70% by converting radio frequency signal spikes into harmless bursts of light energy. So, hence, you have the name R2L, which stands for radiation to light. Mm-hmm. It says on the back of the packaging that SAR, again, which is you know specific absorption rate testing, has shown that the R2L reduces radiation exposure up to 70% across all wireless communication bands, which means that no matter what cell phone or wireless device you use, and no matter what network provider supplies you service, or even if you use your wireless device outside the United States, the RF radio frequencies that you were previously exposed to have been significantly reduced. Okay. And it also says that the SAR testing that was conducted was tested to FCC standards spanning all wireless communication bands. Now, since 5G wasn't out yet when this testing was done, I actually called the company today to find out if it will indeed also filter out 5G radiation. And? and one of the reps, yeah, and one of the reps said that they've been researching this, and currently it, it looks like it's able to filter out about 50% of the radiation, and they're working on new technology to bring that number up closer to the 70% level that it can accomplish with all the other wireless communication bands. Okay, good. All right, because we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do, let's talk about something that seems to be everywhere, And I think that there are cities that are trying to make it where it literally is everywhere, which is Wi-Fi. Now, are there any concerns regarding Wi-Fi and the proximity of it in all the households around the country to your body and your food and all that stuff like that? 
Oh, yes. And this one really surprised me because I had no idea there was so much evidence-based research in the medical literature backing up the various established harmful effects on Wi-Fi. Mm. So an article titled, Wi-Fi is an important threat to human health. This was published in the July 2018 issue of Environmental Research and contained dozens upon dozens of referenced medical journal articles at the end of it to back up its claims. It showed that Wi-Fi has seven detrimental effects to human health, and they are, one, apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, two, oxidative stress, which causes health-destroying free radicals, and that's something we've discussed in pr previous podcasts, mm -hmm. sperm and testicular damage leading to lowered male fertility, neuropsychiatric effects affecting the central and peripheral nervous systems and causing psychological disorders and behavioral changes, hormone changes, cellular DNA damage, and calcium overload. Wow. Yeah. Well, fortunately, there's technology that can combat this too, and it's from the same site that sells the smart meter shield, and it's called the Wi-Fi Router Cover RF Radiation Shield. And it's basically a very sturdy stainless steel box weighing four pounds and is 12 inches by nine inches by four inches, which is big enough for almost all routers to fit in. Now, they actually have a larger size in case you have a, you know, a super large router, right. but that's pretty rare. Most of them, I mean, I measured mine and, and mine fits in there perfectly. It also has a two-inch diameter wiring cutout to allow plenty of room for power cords as well as several Ethernet cords to be passed through without impacting performance. Now, your Wi-Fi router emits RF radiation 24 hours a day, and I just listed these you know, seven detrimental effects to our health that it can produce. Mm -hmm. So this cover shields you and your family and the whole house by reducing the Wi-Fi router RF radiation by about 90% without interfering with download speed or performance. That's really good. It is. I mean, it does reduce the range of the signal by 10 to 25%, but you know, you can always get a range booster if that's a problem. Right. So it currently goes for $84.95, and you know, we can leave a link for this also in our podcast notes. And you know, if you purchase the Wi-Fi router cover and the smart meter cover as a package deal, then you can save about 5% off the total price. And I bought that combination yesterday. So I knew you too. did. <laughs> You know, there's also a local company here in Clearwater that also makes a product called the Smart Defender, which claims to protect you from basically all forms of EMF radiation, including 4G and 5G, Wi-Fi, mobile phones, transmission towers, smart meters, monitors, cars, electric cars, buses, trains, airplanes, geopathic zones, nanoparticles, radar radiation, solar systems, <laughs> ACDC, not the group ACD. Yeah. Uh, heavy current, LED lighting, and fluorescent tubes. So we can also leave a link for that one too. Great. And also, you know, for the last 20 years, I've used a comparable device at home and in the office called the Total Shield. And I have one of mine here and it says, the Total Shield will detect, interrupt, and eliminate grid lines, geomagnetic, electromagnetic, standing waves, ELF, and other harmful waves by broadcasting these disturbances through the Tesla coil at a phase shift of 180 degrees. A second generator generates 7.83 Earth resonant frequency. 
So the total shield blankets and protects a 20,000 square foot area. Great. So I've got this and, you know, this can be found on Amazon as well as other sites if you Google total shield EMF protection. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, one of the reasons that this particular topic came up has to do with the fact that there's new Apple iPhones coming out with 5G in them. So let's take a look at that technology because it's newer and there's been concerns about 5G in relation to its effects on the body. It has nothing to do with who provides it or what country has involvement with it. It's just actually the 5G itself. So what can you tell us about that? And are the concerns people have valid? Well, you know, I just want to say that this is one of the most controversial topics in the world today. And we're just going to touch on it, but this topic may require an entire future episode dedicated to it, you know, to really give it justice. And perhaps we can get an expert on this subject to properly enlighten everyone about it. Okay. That'd be great. Yep. Now, before we dig into 5G, I thought it would be a good idea to define what 5G stands for. Absolutely. You know, it's real easy to mix this up with 5 gigahertz, which is completely different from 5G. Yeah. Doesn't 5G mean fifth generation? Exactly. That's the fifth generation of network technology, whereas 5 gigahertz is a frequency that is used by some Wi-Fi systems. It gets confusing It's because many routers display their 5 mm -hmm. gigahertz Wi-Fi as 5G, right. which also shows up on your cell phone Wi-Fi settings when you look for nearby networks. Right, I, exactly. Yeah, so it can get real confusing. So, you know, a good analogy for 5G is the different models of the iPhone, uh, you know, next month, Apple will be releasing the iPhone 12, which is the 12th generation of iPhones. Right. Also, the first time that they'll be, you know, it'll contain 5G technology, ironically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while researching this topic this week, I, you know, I was aware of the potential problems this technology could pose, and I'll cover these briefly in a minute. But the question that I really wanted to find the answer to was, is it the 5G towers that we have to safeguard ourselves from? Or is it the cell phones themselves that contain 5G technology? Or is it the 5G routers? Or is it a combination of these? Or is it all the above? So from what I've read, it appears that the 5G towers are the worst of the bunch as far as the potential radiation exposure. But when it comes to RF radiation exposure, how close you are to the source is more important than the power level or the wattage of the radiation because RF radiation dissipates with distance. Mm -hmm. Remember, I gave that analogy of the smart meter, you know, when it's only three feet away, it's 160 times greater than cell phone. But when it's 10 feet away, it's only 16 times. Right. Amount. Right. So, so we have to take that into account. In addition, the longer the exposure, the more dangerous it is. So 5G will be the worst of both worlds because we'll have more sources around us. They'll be closer to us and they'll be more powerful with continuous emissions. Mm -hmm. And there's actually two main reasons why 5G towers will be more dangerous than previous cell phone towers. The first is because 5G emits what's called ultra-high frequencies, and the higher the frequency, the shorter the length of each wave. So what this means is that more waves will hit our bodies in the same amount of time. Previous cellular generations, which is 1G all the way up to and including 4G, emitted from one to six gigahertz frequencies. Mm -hmm. But 5G cell towers are expected to use from around 24 gigahertz all the way up to 300 gigahertz. Wow. 
By the way, these are all in the microwave portion of the electromagnetic spectrum since radio waves go up to one gigahertz and microwaves go from one gigahertz to 300 gigahertz. Okay. Now, the second reason that 5G towers will be more dangerous than the previous ones is that 5G technology requires ultra-high intensity. So because the shorter length millimeter waves used in 5G don't travel as far and get blocked easier, our current number of cell towers won't be able to produce reliable cell signals. So to compensate for this, 5G cell towers will have to emit the lower 3G and 4G waves as well, and many more mini cell towers will have to be installed. They've worked it out that they'll need a mini cell tower every two to eight houses. Wow. And that'll likely, you know, they'll likely be put on, you know, let's say telephone poles. Mm -hmm. So putting this all together, all of this combined will greatly increase our RF radiation exposure. And, you know, if we also take into account the 5G routers, they will basically be considered mini 5G cell towers located inside your home. Typical routers use 5 gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz frequencies, Mm -hmm. but the new 5G routers will use these as well as the much higher frequency of 60 gigahertz, which is what the 5G cell towers use. Okay. By the way, 2.45 gigahertz is what your home microwave uses to cook your food. So the 2.4 gigahertz band that your router uses is basically the same. Wow. Interesting. So again, the way to, you know, the way to neutralize almost all the radiation coming from your Wi-Fi router is to get a Wi-Fi radiation shield like the one I recommended earlier. Okay. So that'll solve that problem. Now, cell phones also will be potentially troublesome with 5G technology, but if you use a radiation protection device like the R2L, you can reduce that radiation significantly. And it's also smart to use your speakerphone as often as possible instead of putting the phone up to your ear and close to your head and brain since there have been studies linking cell phone use to brain tumors. Right. You know, and if you're able to at night, place your phone as far away from you in your room or in another, you know, adjacent room to reduce radiation exposure even more. And another thing you can do is put your phone on airplane mode at night, which will eliminate all EMF activity on your phone. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. The only problem with this is that you won't be able to receive text or phone calls while it's in that mode. And, you know, I mean, at nighttime, you really don't want that anyway, but you know, I'm unable to do this because I have alarm systems in my office and home. And if either of them go off, I'll get a call from the alarm company notifying me of this and the police will be dispatched unless I tell them, you know, it's a false alarm or something. So I need to have mine on. Right. I had a break-in in my office a few years ago, about 5 a.m. and had to go there to make sure nothing was stolen. And I actually had to call a glass repair company who came and repaired my glass door in time for me to go back home to get ready for work and then get back to work in time. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely need to have my phone on at nighttime. All right, well, let's look at the pros and cons of 5G. Okay. The pros are being heavily promoted by the tech companies, and the biggest of these is the fact that it's widely believed to be smarter, faster, and more efficient than the current 4G technology. First of all, it can produce speeds of up to 100 gigabits per second, which is up to 100 times faster than 4G. Secondly, it has reduced latency compared to 4G. Latency is the time that passes from the moment information is sent from a device until it can be used by the receiver. So reduced latency means that you'd be able to use your mobile device connection as a replacement for your cable modem and Wi-Fi. You'd you'd also be able to download and upload files quickly and easily without having to worry about the network or phone suddenly crashing. And you'd also be able to watch a 4K video almost right away without having to experience any buffering time. 
And the other major advantage of 5G over 4G is that we'll be able to fix bandwidth issues. You see, 3G and 4G networks don't have the infrastructure to cope with all the current devices that can be connected to them, and this causes bandwidth issues. So 5G will not only be able to handle current devices, but also emerging technologies such as driverless cars and connected home products. You know, so from a tech standpoint, 5G appears to be very impressive in all it can do, but it definitely has some drawbacks to it. Okay, what are those? Well, it hasn't been released everywhere globally yet because it has, you know, it's opened the door to a new level of threat requiring tougher security protocols to protect your personal information. Mm-hmm. So governments and mobile operators have to ensure that they have the correct level of security in place before 5G can be rolled out. Cities also have to have, you know, the cell towers ready to go. So current 5G in the U.S. is limited to a number of large cities, depending on what carrier you have, including AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile. Now, unfortunately, the level of concern over security does not appear to be the same for making sure that this technology is totally safe and not causing health problems. There are quite a few critics that have published and voiced their concerns, and there have also been quite a few lawsuits fighting the release of this technology. Now, some of the critics of 5G that I would recommend looking into you know, their research include Dr. Joseph Mercola, John F. Kennedy Jr. on his website at childrenshealthdefense.org, mm-hmm. and a respected and very entertaining orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Jack Cruz, who has tons of information on the dangers of EMF, including 5G. And you can find his podcasts and articles at drjackcruise.com. That's Cruise spelled K-R-U-S-E. And an excellent article published in Scientific American from October of last year titled, We Have No Reason to Believe 5G is Safe, spells things out pretty well in the last four paragraphs, which I would like to read. Okay. Okay, here it goes. It says, since 5G is a new technology, there is no research on health effects, so we are flying blind to quote a U.S. senator. However, we have a considerable evidence that the harmful effects of 2G and 3G. Little is known the effects of exposure to 4G, a 10-year-old technology, because governments have been remiss in funding this research. Meanwhile, we are seeing increases in certain types of head and neck tumors in tumor registries which may be at least partially attributable to the proliferation of cell phone radiation. These increases are consistent with results from case control studies of tumor risk in heavy cell phone users. 5G will not replace 4G. It will accompany 4G for the near future and possibly over the long term. If there are synergistic effects from simultaneous exposures to multiple types of radio frequency radiations, our overall risk of harm from radio frequency radiation may increase substantially. Cancer is not the only risk as there is considerable evidence that radio frequency radiation, boys, try to say radio frequency radiation 10 times really fast. I dare you. Uh, I'll start that again. Cancer is not the only risk as there there is considerable evidence that radio frequency radiation causes neurological disorders and reproductive harm likely due to oxidative stress. As a society, should we invest hundreds of billions of dollars deploying 5G, a cellular technology that requires the installation of 800,000 or more new cell antenna sites in the United States close to where we live, work, and play? 
Instead, we should support the recommendations of the 250 scientists and medical doctors who signed the 5G appeal that calls for an immediate moratorium on the deployment of 5G and demand that our government fund the research needed to adopt biologically based exposure limits that protect our health and safety. That's all. Okay. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. Well, it sounds like the towers are going to be a problem, but we can't really control that that much individually unless we fight back against it. Routers are going to be a problem, but you've got the box that it can be put in that'll help with that. The phones will have some effect, but you can prevent that or reduce that by getting the, sh the little device that you talked about, especially once they get it upgraded or updated and keep the phone away from your head. I mean, I always use my earbuds. I, I don't think I ever hold my phone to my ear. It's pretty rare. So those are the things that, the, to summarize what you went over, I think is the issues. Now for people who are looking at the, the iPhone 12, I've read articles that Apple is planning to introduce a 4G model because everything being released next month is the 5G version, but they're going to do a 4G model after the first of the year. And they're not going to talk about it now because they don't want it to cannibalize their sales of the new models that are coming out. So if people are concerned about that, then that's something that they can look into or wait for to see what's going to happen. So that was all very good information. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end? Well, you know, there's tons more that I can cover on these topics, but I think we covered enough for one podcast. Yeah, very interesting. And it's it's important for people to understand. And it was I'm glad that you got to do the research because there are things that affect people's health that they wouldn't necessarily even think about or consider. I have a friend who is an agent and I can't remember what area of the country he's in, but he used to be in the GRIT program with us. And I had noticed he wasn't around the last month or two. And he said, yeah, he's been really, really sick. And he's had all sorts of tests and medical doctors haven't found anything. And he went to this one doctor who brought up the possibility that it was something environmental that was affecting him. And uh, I can't remember exactly what it was that he said it was, but it was something to do with uh, some type of update in his house or something that was done there. And they're now testing him to find out if that's what it might be. So we talked about that in the episodes regarding environmental issues or products. And now we've got the aspect of the electronics that can affect people's health. So it's very important. So I like the idea of in the future of doing one with an expert on 5G. We'll have to find one because there's always people who have opinions on either side, but that doesn't mean they're experts. So we'll have to find one, but that'll be for the future. Next week, we're going to talk about an important topic, which has to do with prescription drugs and the elderly. I mentioned this last week because it's just almost accepted that if somebody gets older, they're going to have a long list of prescription drugs that they're taking. It gets longer and longer. And the problem is the more drugs that you take, there's the more combinations of drugs that can cause effects that aren't necessarily going to be expected. And people who are older have less muscle mass, less body mass, 
and taking prescription drugs is going to have different effects on them than it will be somebody who's in their 30s and 40s. And that isn't always taken into account. So we're going to get into that topic next week on the next episode. And we've got a lot of other things lined up coming up in the future. All right. Thanks for all the work you did on this, Steve. And we'll talk next week. Sounds great. Sounds great.